three, two, one. Here we go. Mr. Soul, welcome back. I am without my co-host, Chris White, today, but I am not alone. I am with Dr. Caroline Leaf who I've been a um, avid reader of and fan and done many of her exercises. So I'm super excited to introduce you to her if you are not aware of her. She is a neuroscientist and mental health expert. So I am punching way above my weight class in this conversation today. Dr. Caroline Lee, welcome to System and Soul. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Lovely to meet you, Binge. Um, I don't even know where to start with you because you are so deep <laughs> and complex, but why don't, why don't you start by telling the world uh, why you are so famous for what you're famous for and how you got here? <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Well, basically, as you mentioned, I'm a cognitive neuroscientist and, and I'm also a communication pathologist. And essentially what all that means is that I've been studying the mind-brain body connection for nearly 38 years now. And I practice as a therapist for nearly 25 years. And I've been a clinical researcher for all this time. I still do clinical trials and I'm doing, I've just just published in my most recent book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. I published, put some of my trials in there, very simple version. And the reason I keep doing research in this field was really prompted way back in the early 80s when I was still studying as a student. And um, we, the, the going philosophy at the time was that the brain couldn't change. And that didn't make any sense to me because we're constantly experiencing new experiences. And I remember challenging one of my professors and asking them and saying, how is this possible? And they said, well, the brain can't change. So if your brain's damaged, that's it. And I thought, this cannot be right. And I started doing research with people with traumatic brain injuries and learning disabilities. And I did some of the earliest research on neuroplasticity, which is that the brain can change in my field back in the late 80s and early 90s. And it was quite, it was a real, it was a real thing. I was here, I'm a woman in science swimming upstream in the 80s against going against the flow. But it's pretty much what I've done my whole career is because even the way I approach mental health now, um, well, I've been obviously being this this links it into mental health as well. It's always the, the, really to understand that we are so brilliant as humans. Our mind's not our brain, and we have this incredible capacity to change and to grow. And how can we manage that? That's what I really want to give people is a tool for understanding how to manage your mind. What is your mind? What are thoughts? What are emotions? What are these things that like drive us every day? And when our thoughts go crazy and we can't control them and our life falls apart and we feel overwhelmed, how do we get back on track? And how do we deal with the little stresses that come along day by day? And how do we deal with the big massive traumas and the COVIDs and the pandemics and the you know abuses and all these things that just happen as a human? And that's what I've really try to do is from a therapeutic level also apply this into just day-to-day life and um, studying the whole psychoneurobiology of the process and give people systems to be able to help themselves. So one distinction that I think you made in there is that our mind is not our brain. Is that true? Yes. That's huge. That is huge and it's fundamental to uh, it's fundamental to how we function as humans. And we're instinctively doing this, but we don't verbalize it like that. But essentially uh, the difference, the easiest way to understand this is that the mind, um, the mind is your aliveness. The difference between you and I and a dead person right now is our mind. 
Our mind is the ability that we have to listen to this podcast, to have this discussion, to process this into and apply this in our life and to be able to experience the joys of having a relationship with a loved one and eating meals and doing exercise and, and being alive and getting frustrated with politics and just life. It's, it's our mind that is doing that. So our mind is this energetic force. You can look at it as two levels. It's this energetic force that we can describe with gravitational fields and electromagnetic effects and all this fancy stuff. We can go into a more a simpler psychological definition that your mind is how you think and feel and choose. Those three things always go together. You're always thinking, you're always feeling, you're always choosing. You can't think without feeling, you can't think and feel without choosing. So as humans, our mind is thinking, feeling and choosing about what we hear, what we see, what we listen to, what we experience, what we learn. It's as we open our eyes in the morning, between that time and the time we go to sleep, we are processing all the events and circumstances and relationships and things of our daily life into our brain through our mind. So our mind is this driver, this force, this processing agent. It's got different levels. You've got the unconscious, subconscious, the conscious, the unconscious. It's all these different levels. So it's very complicated. And what we build with our mind is we build our experiences into our physical brain as thoughts, as real physical thoughts that actually look like trees. And I'm going to hold up a little plant for those of you that are just listening. I'm holding up a little tree plant in a pot. And this is literally what thoughts look like. So with our mind, we build thought, our experiences into thought trees in our brain. So it, this podcast is becoming a thought tree in your brain made of roots, which is what every tree has, and it'll have roots. The roots are what I'm saying, the source of our discussion. So the roots are always the source. We where it comes from so it's this in this case it's our discussion it could be the article that you've read it could be the um trauma you've suffered so everything the experience the roots the source is in the roots then the branches the branch memories are our interpretation of that situation so the way that you explain this podcast versus the way that someone else who's listening explains this podcast will be different because your thinking feeling and choosing your mind in action is interpreting what you're hearing in your own unique way so the roots the root memories are the source, the branch memories are the interpretation, the narrative we make about what we've experienced, and the combination, the root plus the, the narrative branches, are interpretation or how we show up. So what you say and do related to mental health after this podcast is based on what you built during the podcast. You can take a toxic issue, and I've got it now, a tree that I'm holding up now is all wiry and dark and ugly and so this would then represent something toxic so maybe this is COVID the pandemic and then every experience you've had related to that is in the root system and the branches are how you've interpreted that how you see that how the narrative you have around that and that is how you are then showing up and this is 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 in the brain as a physical protein tree-like structure. So these branches, if you think of a tree, you can touch a tree, it's physical. Your thoughts, you may not be able to stick your hand inside your brain and touch them, but they're there. We see them with the technology, we see them change, we see them grow. They're actually made of proteins. So this conversation now are all sound waves and electromagnetic light waves and gravitational fields. And, and it's all these words being converted into that, being put into your brain. And as that, as that connection happens, this electromagnetic force, quantum energy, et cetera, moving through the brain, the brain responds neurochemically. So respond is key, neurochemically, electromagnetically, genetically, and proteins are made. And those proteins vibrate with the content. And as you speak, as I each thing I'm saying, you're growing more branches. That's happening very, very fast at 400 billion actions per second. And the beauty of this is that mind in action 
changes brain and that's neuroplasticity with every thought you build you're changing the brain and if it's a toxic experience with a toxic thought you can change that too so we're not we're not stuck we can change these patterns and that's not what we talk about enough and we change them with our mind but and that's essentially kind of a an overview synopsis of, of mind brain and what we can do Titus Talent Strategies exists to equip companies to make the best attraction, hiring, engagement, and development decisions to meet their organization's people and performance objectives. We're here to help you get the right people in the right seats and coach them to be the best they can be, guaranteed. Our consultant-style process was born out of frustration with the traditional recruiting model which needed to be reimagined. Our visionary and integrator built a new way of doing business to produce true, measurable results and create lasting partnerships. Now running on EOS for eight years, Titus has experienced year-over-year growth, making its second consecutive appearance on the Inc. 5000 fastest-growing companies in 2020. Our proven process in one year, 100% performance, fits hand-in-glove with the EOS people component, tying everything back to the accountability chart, people analyzer and your company's VTO. As a talent strategy company, we offer EOS run companies a range of services based on our proprietary methodologies, hire for performance and manage for performance. Learn more at TitusTalent.com. That brings up like a thousand questions. Um, there's, there's, I, I have like, I have like two categories of people I want to ask you about. So I'll, I'll try and stick with, uh, let me, let me go to the first first. The first is the overachievers type a driven personalities that are listening to this. And one of two things, they either feel a need to improve. Um, you know, they want to improve in some way. Can I change my thoughts, my patterns, whatever? Um, or um, I know that rest plays into this in, in the recovery side of that. So like for the over, we'll start with this bucket of like the overachievers in the world. What is the most like applicable thing we need to know to be able to do or practice um, to help with our, what is this brain health, I guess, mind, mind health? Well, it's basically mind to brain to body. So psychoneurobiology. So we're talking about the driving force that drives whether you type A or whether whatever. That's just a, I mean, it's a very, very broad grouping. You've got to be right, right. advising people, but it's, you get people that are kind of, as you're talking about the people that are more driven, very perfectionistic, very hard on themselves, kind of can drive themselves a bit crazy sometimes because they get completely exhausted. And that's those are, and within each of that category, there's going to be complete individual, individual characteristics, obviously. Right. So that, this driving, that's mind. And that's, so that is you with your mind driving. Now, if that, if that, think of, think of mind as being the driving force that if you didn't have mind, you'd be dead. Your brain and body wouldn't do anything. So your mind uses your brain and body to basically store the um, experience of what you are having so that you can then talk and do and act and become whoever you are. Like I've studied brain science for years and mind brain stuff. So I've built all these networks in my brain and then I use that to do what I'm doing. Okay. So I'm very driven to study a lot and to work very hard. So there's a very strong drive to become 
like that sort of type A person who has spent hours and hours and hours doing research and clinical trials that I have to actually control, as you said, the rest side, bring in the rest and whatever. So if there's nothing wrong with my drive, that's, but when the drive becomes messy, so we have a messy mind and a wise mind. And messy yes. is the norm for all of us because we're all basically like little researchers, experiments. We're in life experimenting. We don't quite know how anything's going to turn out. That's very often what drives a person. I have to cover every possibility. I have to work 10 times harder to make sure that I can control every element. You know, you want to be in control of all the outcomes, but you never really are ever in control of all the outcomes because there's just so many possibilities and things that can change. And you've got to be able to be flexible within the change. So that is, that we all kind of get that someone who's driving themselves very hard, the messy mind, which is totally acceptable. We live in the messy mind. The messy mind is part of organically part of us because of the fact that we can't control people, events, circumstances, etc. But then if the messy mind is on its own, that then it tends to make a mess. We then will overwork, over overdo things. But if the messy mind connects with the wise mind, which is that inner core, what we call wired for love in neurobiology and in psychoneurobiology, we call it the optimism bias. Um, in, um, it's also known as the survival mode. Um, and it's in all of our nature that we see that we are not designed to be just messy. We're designed to make a mess and then we're designed to fix up that mess. So we're designed to be driven and to achieve and to and to solve that problem, whatever grabs us in our work. But we're not designed to overdrive ourselves if we collapse, et cetera. So it's it's good to have the drive, but it's messy. If, if we just keep driving, it's messiness on its own. But if we connect with our wise mind, our wise mind says, hey, you love that. It's your passion. You really want to do this well. Um, you want to cover every eventuality. But let's be realistic. You can't work 24-7. You're going to collapse. You can't be a shock absorber. You can't do this. You can't do that. You've got to. So your wise mind is that inner knowing that we all have. It's an inner core. Just this conversation, our wise minds operating. The fact that we can kind of have this analytical discussion about what is mind. That is your wise mind operating. Another example of wise mind is someone asks you advice or asks you a question. You're a coach, so people are asking you advice all the time in terms of lifting their business skills, etc. You come up with really wise decisions. They give you a problem, you assess the problem, you give a solution, and you're really good at that. That's your wise mind operating. Every human has that, even a child that is very young, has a wise mind. And obviously, it's a development, a developed thing. That is the core of survival. We see that playing out in our neurobiology, in the specialization of our brain structures, and in the health of our brain and our body. That when we're trying to manage our life in this wise mind talking to messy mind, I want to do this, this didn't work. Oh, hang on. Um, that didn't work so well. Let's do this. So it's almost like a pilot and a co-pilot driving our life. The pilot's got the plan. And if the co-pilot's saying, maybe we should consider this, this, and this, and this, and this, and you've got to work together. The problem in life is that when we get just the messy mind driving, messy mind's not supposed to work alone, or we only intermittently draw on our wisdom. And when we driving type A, we get so caught up doing, 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 that we actually don't take those breaks. We, we start stepping out of wisdom, and we start crashing and emo physically, mentally, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. So that's extreme. But it's and there's always a reason why we are so driven to achieve. Generally, it's there's many reasons, but it's very often because we feel like we want to control. Then why do we want to control? Why is that perfectionistic drive there? Why do we feel we have to cover every every odd and um, every 
potential possibility. We have to dig down deep and find that something probably happened that made you feel that the only way you can feel secure and peaceful is if you control everything. So you need to go and do this deconstruction. You need to become literally like a thought detective to see what is driving the drive and go and then find that and reconceptualize that. Otherwise, the drive will make you crash, literally. I think we could spend the rest of the time on finding the cause of our the drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck on that. Give me something um, like one of the ways that I see it show up in myself and others is like where your mind gets almost stuck on loops where it's just really fast, really busy. You know, you, you have those nights when you go to bed, your body's exhausted, your mind, your, your eyes are shut, but your mind just won't shut up. What is that? Like, what can we do about that? It's an excellent question. So what's happened there is that if we come back to the point of, of we experiencing something in life, so we experience something that makes a massive impact on us. Now that experience, as I said, is received by your mind. There's all the electronic, all the sciencey stuff, there's the psychological stuff and it's built into the brain. So let's say it's a toxic experience and it's built into the brain and you interpret that that's the source, that's your interpretation, what I said earlier. But now you, every time that you think about it, you give it energy. So here, if we're having this discussion, if no one ever listens to this again or gets the book or never does anything, this information is just going to convert into hot air. Energy is never lost in the brain and the body and the mind. It's converted. So when you learn something new, you build memories into thought trees but if you don't stay stabilize information and we're building healthy stuff now not toxic stuff it's going to disappear within 24 to 48 hours most of it and then you'll remember oh i heard something about this you know whatever mind brain health whatever but it's you don't have the detail but so that's the opposite when we don't pay attention when you pay attention it grows so if i keep paying if i do go and listen to this podcast or if people do listen to this podcast again and study the stuff in the book and do what you know you said you've been reading my books and whatever then you're going to make this strong you're going to be able to apply mind management in your life now let's take that to a toxic example you have something that happens in your life that makes you feel insecure or something there's, there's a source there's a there's some sort of a, an experience that is in the root that you've interpreted as the only way to counter this is I have to do X. So there's a narrative you build in your head. So now you keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it. It's getting stronger. The more energy you give it, the more water you pour on it, the more the plant will grow. And then we see one of, part of the research I've done is looking at how long does it take to turn a thought, toxic or negative, into something that has a long-term effect that it will actually become a habit and change your behavior. And it works in cycles of 21 days. And it's not 21 days that, that it takes to, to form a habit. It's actually three cycles of 21 days minimum. So that's 63 days. Now that may, that's nine weeks. So you may think, okay, well, um, I didn't consciously do it, but you may, but you just keep thinking about this thing. You know, you think about it maybe once or twice at first and then more and then things happen in your environment that add more to this. So just, it becomes something that you're thinking about every day. So then within nine weeks, this has become a wired in pattern in your brain. And then it is automatized, which means it's changed your behavior, which means that it's very easily triggered. It's really strong. It's easily triggered. And if you are in an environment, if you're nurturing or your environment is triggering that to come up, it keeps popping up. And the more it pops up, the more energy you give it. And then if you don't discipline your mind, if you don't catch that, it's actually going to be 
like a virus. It's going to insidiously infect literally everything that you, how you view your life perspective, what you do, your relationships. It starts becoming very controlling. And as you say, this is because it's had this attention and energy. It's what you start ruminating. This is what ruminating is. This is overthinking. You keep ruminating. You keep thinking more and more. You keep overthinking, adding more branches. This could happen. That could happen. You just build this narrative. And the more attention you pay, the more it grows. And it then becomes a wired into this like firm stuck thing in your brain but it's not stuck because that's the messy mind the wise mind is actually saying to you hey this is not good for me this is making me feel terrible this is affecting my relationships this is but we have to discipline ourselves we have to deliberately and intentionally choose to sit down and say okay this is a pattern i keep ruminating it's keeping me awake at night it's the same thing it's getting more and more and more elaborate and i'm making so many assumptions because generally that's what we do we make 70 percent of what we doing these assumptions even more it could be even 94.1% of what we're worrying about won't even come true but we've built this whole thing and the more we think the more it's, it's, it's controlling us so we have to actually make the decision to I'm going to take my messy mind I'm going to listen to my wise mind I'm going to sit down and I'm going to deliberately and intentionally work over 15 to 45 minutes a day for 21 days and then for seven minutes a day for 42 days that is the time it's going to take to identify the pattern all the signals around the pattern emotions behaviors um, in physical symptoms in your body perspective and deconstruct and reconstruct it into something that's healthy that you actually then stopped at but you have to do that you have to make the decision and this is where people often that are stuck in rumination they want other people to absorb the shock for them they'll manipulate other people they'll expect other people to make them happy and those that if you're in a relationship Relationship with someone who's going through that, you kind of feel responsible. I've got to make them happy. I've got to help them. I've got to, I've got to keep the peace. I've got to do, and you start. So it creates a tremendous toxic um, issue between people as well when someone gets stuck ruminating because loved ones want to help because they see you battling, but they get sucked into it and very often don't let them, you know, sub, go through the consequences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that just feeds back in, and no one can. No one can do it for you. Only you can do it for you. But sometimes it takes someone in our environment to say, hey, listen, you are so negative. You are being so negative. It's affecting this. It's affecting me in this way. How can I help you? I understand there's something going on. I understand you showing up like this for a reason. But how can I help you? But you, know, but you actually have to do the work kind of thing. So we can only prompt someone and support them. They have to make the decision to say, okay, I own it. I've been a mess. I'm doing this. I see the pattern. And they have to then do those 63-day cycles. And what they do in those cycles is called the, um, it's called the neurocycle. I developed a system over 38 years, which I talk about in this book, Teening Up Your Mental Mess. And I've got an app called Neurocycle, which is a five-step system. It's not a technique. It's a system much like Amazon's delivery system. Amazon is a very efficient delivery system that delivers anything anyway. The, five, the neurocycle is a five-step system that is how you manage your mind and deliver the right information into your brain and your body so that you can change these toxic patterns and these ruminating patterns and replace them with healthier ones. You can't change the past, but you can change out how it plays out into your future. That's the basic principle operating. There was a ton there. Uh, my second whole category of people was I, I went on a uh, retreat with some men this last weekend and we got deep real quick. And I was shocked by how much um, different forms of anxiety or depression was alive in these guys. Um, but that's the same sort of ruminating that you're talking about, right? It's the, it's the other side of the, the coin. It's the same thing. 
Well, absolutely. And you've, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there because depression and anxiety, which is, is a very common human response. It's not something, it's not a brain disease. Like we've been told that narrative is not correct. It's not scientific depression anxiety, these things are symptoms, they're warning signals that there's something going on. So they're simply telling you, hey, there's something going on, there's a source. And obviously, things like anxiety during something like a pandemic that you just experienced, um, extreme anxiety has tripled. And that, But it doesn't mean that we've got people with more brain diseases. It's not an illness. So we've got to stop thinking of, of depression and anxiety as, as an illness, a neuropsychiatric brain disease, and see it as a response to life's adverse circumstances. And sometimes it can be overwhelmingly they build, it's cumulative, that we can start to have crashes and we can have extreme depression and extreme anxiety. But it's not that we are depressed. It's that we're experiencing depression as the result of massive difference there. So the guys you were talking to, we're talking about a symptom. So let's say that, I don't know how many there were of you, but let's say that there were 10 people and, and, and all 10 were talking about, we feel anxiety and depression. It's not that you suddenly have 10 sick people. What you have is 10 humans that are having very normal reactions from their own individual unique narratives to life's adverse circumstances. But we haven't provided much of a space in our current world and our current narrative to allow, especially men, to... Yeah. <laughs> talk about this it's seen as oh i've got to just suppress i've got a deal it's not macho it's what you know all the toxic masculinity meanwhile masculinity meanwhile or toxic positive psychology or even a lot that's come out of the wellness industry that you're weak if you say you're depressed no you're not weak if you say you're depressed you're very strong because what you're doing is acknowledging a very real thing that every human is experiencing but to different degrees at different periods of their life because there's different narratives going on so what we have to do is say okay that's the that is the the warning signal, the depression, the anxiety is the warning signal. Now I need to dig, dig deeper. What are the behavioral warning signals? What, are, what's, what am I doing? What am I feeling in my body in, a, in, this, in relation to this, to this depression? So take the depression to the behaviors, to the physical, to the perspective. And that's just, that's just the first step. That's just gathering awareness. That's the first step of the neurocycle. You've got to gather awareness of that. Then you've got to start doing some deep reflection where you really introspect and you start asking, answering, discussing, okay, why do I have these signals in my life? What do they signify? So you're starting to go be a thought detective and go down the tree to the root. And then there's the third and fourth step are very specific types of writing that, that create different patterns and the sort of different reactions inside the brain and mind-brain connection and then the, the fifth step and um, fourth step is an act is a recheck where you analyze you do like a, an autopsy um where you analyze okay this is what i've I, my signals i've identified these are my ask on to discuss reflections this is what i have poured on paper this is what i've organized um, um the, the in terms of of the triggers and and what antidotes can i create and then what action steps can i take and that's the the the, the process of the neurocycle that will help you embrace the depression to find the source and the source is whatever maybe it's loss maybe it's abuse as a child maybe that you've never dealt with maybe there's been bullying in your relationship maybe there's there's we've all got trauma and there's and we've all suppressed trauma and you can't suppress it because it's volcanic in nature so we've grown up in societies in different different periods of time it's been you know different ways of handling it and even now although people are trying to destigmatize and get people to talk about it the way they're talking about it is though it's a sickness so it's almost like you have to validate your pain by calling it a sickness but it's not a sickness because that actually makes it worse it's not a sickness it, then it makes it like oh some people have cancer and some people don't some people have depression some don't all of us have depression but it's in different degrees so if you think of it as a scale rather from zero to ten 
on one side and from zero to minus 10 on the other. That's life. Most of us hover in any one day around minus four plus four as the things of life happen. But then things can accumulate and we start shifting down the negative scale. Doesn't mean we diseased. It means that we are just have an extreme, extreme accumulation of traumatic stuff that is that we've suppressed or haven't managed and dealt with. We haven't done the mind management. So we've crashed because these are real in our brain. You can't suppress them. They're volcanic. They will erupt in your brain and body. They will affect your neurophysiology. They will damage your immune system. They'll damage your brain. They'll create inflammation. They'll damage your telomeres on your chromosomes. All of that, I document a lot of my research in that area of the mind-brain-body um, effect of, of unmanaged toxic stress and so on it will affect it but that doesn't that's not the cause that's the effect and what we need to recognize is that that then feeds back into the mind so what we need to do is change our view embrace the depression to and the anxiety to find the source to deconstruct and reconstruct to embrace process and reconceptualize and make it work for you and not against you so when when uh, let's say i'm resonating with something here and i want to explore Two-part question. Do I need to know what the root or what the end objective would be to start to engage in the process? And second part, how is the best way? You mentioned, you know, you've got a lot of books. Where do we start? Or is it the app? Like where, where's like the 101 starter for somebody that's interested in going to the next step after this podcast? Well, I would recommend that people recognize that you can have your, your end goal is always going to be one of having a sense of peace in the midst of chaos of life so it's the acceptance that so no matter what is going on in the relationship in your business in whatever you're experiencing as humans what we desire is a level of peace in the midst of chaos that okay this yeah. is bad but i can um the other the other thing is very much related to identity and that's that if we feel that okay that this is not who i am but it's what i'm going through it's rather a doing versus a being that gives us a lot of peace so it's having those broad goals that yes i want to be successful in my business and obviously you know that's that's Let's start with this, the human, the philosophical human ex existential type element. As a human, you're not going to be very effective in your business and set your business goals and carry through with them if you are really feeling lacking in peace and identity in yourself because your creativity and wisdom that's required to run your business is going to be lacking. So you have to address the mental component. Mind drives everything. If your mind's a mess, your life's a mess, including your business. And you know you may be lucky enough to be fairly successful, and you've set things up in motion so that you are earning and so on. But there's a level that it's not just about money; it's about that contribution, that sense of satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera, that we all want. And if we don't get it, it makes you feel depressed, it makes you feel anxious, it makes you feel like something's missing. So that's kind of our overarching end goal. And what the neurocycle does um, is basically the system, it's a system of mind management. Our mind never stops. So you can go three weeks without food, you can go three days without water, you can go three minutes without oxygen, but you cannot even go three seconds without your mind working. You go to sleep with your mind, you wake up with your mind, you ruminate with your mind, you, you know, you have a relationship with your mind so essentially we've got to recognize that our mind needs to be always controlled so wise mind always needs to be working with with messy mind we need to say it's okay to be messy that's part of being human it's okay to feel to snap and get angry and irritable but it's not okay to stay there what we want to do is own it and then manage it. And that's sort of the philosophy is that give yourself the room to make errors. We, as I said already, we like little scientists in action. We don't know what's coming up. We've got to experiment and give ourselves permission to do that. Give ourselves permission to feel the experience. And then from there, 
manage it. The big thing is manage. We can do it every 10 seconds. From our neuroscientific research and others, we've shown that every 10 seconds, you can be managing your mind. So mind management is actually core in being alive as a human. It's managing, okay, I've said this, how's this impacted my wife? How's it impacted my husband? How's this impacted my business colleague? How's this impacted myself? What have I just said? Is this, how I'm thinking like this, is this constructive? So it's a constant self-regulation. So the neurocycle, when you do it, it, it the way to, to, to create this, way of thinking which okay let's put it this way your mind's always working so either you just crash through and do it messy and hope that you'll intermittently do wise mind messy mind, or you can be deliberate and learn how to manage your mind all the time and that's what i teach so the neurocycle i would recommend a great place to start is with the neurocycle app which you can download on itunes and google play and get the book get the two together my latest book because it's very 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 clearly laid out in there and there's interesting science and stuff it's very second half of the book is super easy and practical it's all full of examples from the toxic trauma to toxic habits to getting you know, building new habits, et cetera, it's all really applicable to whether you're in business, it's you human, so it's applicable. And then the carryover is into your business. And then, um, you know, do it with the app and spend, try to spend, dedicate maybe, even if it's 15 minutes a day for 63-day cycles where you work on the big stuff, like a toxic habit or a toxic trauma that you know is disrupting. You work on one thing for, for the 63 days. Now, you might think one thing, a thought is made, like a tree has got lots of roots and branches, uh, that those are memories. A thought has got lots of memories. So when I say work on one thing, it's not one, it's one concept. So if you're working on the impact of COVID or you're working on I'm feeling depressed, there's a ton of memories. You could have hundreds of memories, if not thousands, that come up over the 63 days, but they categorized into that thought. So when I say one thought, it's one kind of category. And then within that, you work on all the associated memories. And then you are unpacking them and making and design redesigning them to make them work for you. And once you start doing that in a very disciplined way, there's a beautiful carryover effect in mind management. When you dedicate to so what I'm saying is when you practice it every day and you just keep doing that, because you've always got, once you finish one cycle, I'm telling you, this will be revealed and that will be revealed. You'll just keep going. And then a new trauma comes and then a new thing. So in other words, it's, it's a lifestyle. I do it when I'm getting ready every day. So 15 minutes I dedicate every day when I'm getting ready. That's when I do my sort of heavy kind of more sort of trauma toxic habit work then during the course of the day because i have trained myself to use it in this very disciplined way it's a natural carryover into my daily life so i'm extremely self-regulated i've become more and more self-regulated over the years where i apply it into like let's say i'm just about to do a podcast and i get an email and it completely throws me because it's unexpected or and you've got to like, get yourself back together and deal with it or you're in a business meeting and suddenly someone just says something and it throws you or, or some disaster whatever life happens little stuff that are nagging and the big stuff that you can then use the neurocycle in five seconds you can go through the five steps it's just a systematized way of gathering the data that you faced with gathering your responses and organizing your your response in a way that's going to keep your brain and body healthy so you don't have neurochemical chaos and low blood flow in your brain and low oxygen in your brain and all those things that will impair your wisdom and your creativity and your ability to make good decisions you want to grab that and reverse that so that you get the two sides of the brain working together and you get the blood flow and the oxygen and you get the brain waves doing what they're supposed to do and you get your neurophysiology and you can't tell yourself to do that but i've done the research that if you do these five steps that's what's going to happen and when you're in that state of mind and that frame of mind then your brain and body follow suit and then you're much more creative and and efficient 
System is all, if you're inspired and overwhelmed at the same time right now, that is probably normal. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm a living testimony of Dr. Caroline Lee's work. Uh, it works. It's amazing. I'm going to put all your books and the link to the app uh, in the show notes so people can get started. Um, as we wrap up here, I know you also... Um, you know, when it comes to leaders, I, I love this, by the way, like as leaders, we talk about visionaries, you get to decide what your future looks like for yourself, for your family, for your business. That is what, you know, and then you have to make it happen. Uh, but sometimes we have these mental patterns, trauma, whatever, that gets us, gets in the way from us being who we truly want to be. And so thank you for giving us some tools to deal with that today. Uh, as we wrap up, um, the other big thing that uh, we don't like to admit, but we experience as leaders is burnout. Yes. And I know you're passionate about that. So speak for a second about burnout. Well, burnout happens to everyone, but yes, it's a very big problem in leaders. And I train leaders all around the globe and in different environments. And um, only 3% of leaders are talking about their mental health. So there's one key reason why people are burning out. And that's because of the narrative around mental health. There's a stigma attached to it, which they're trying to get rid of, as we said, but it's not happening. So it, People, are, until we shift the perspective that as a leader, it is not a weakness to talk about your mental health. It is a strength. You are going to be burnt out because you're going to be acting literally like a, you're going to be suppressing stuff that is, the more you suppress stuff, it's volcanic in nature. It's wearing you down. These thoughts are physically heavy. When someone dies, their weight literally changes. When these toxic thoughts are changed, you literally change. They weigh you down. So you, you can only suppress for so long and then it will explode and you will become a bad leader and you'll get burnt out if you don't deal with your stuff. So it's really, it doesn't mean that you hang, you have to tell everyone about everything you're going through, but it's have some trusted confidants, go for therapy, go for coaching, do the neurocycle, learn to get your, you know, you, you can go to therapy and counseling and coaching once or twice a week, but you're living with yourself. As you said, you wake up at night, you, your brain is keeping you awake. You need to know how to manage your mind. So as a leader, mind management is absolutely critical number two don't be one of those leaders who only don't be only don't be part of the 97 who aren't talking about their mental health talk about your mental health because then you encourage the people that you that you that follow you that you are leading to talk about this because all of us since the beginning of time have been battling so you've just got to normalize the playing field so hey listen guys i'm having the most amazing time i feel so much better but and then another time i listen excuse me i'm not at the best at the moment i'm really battling this stuff in my life i am dealing with it it's okay i know what i'm doing but i just want you to know if i'm not as creative or as bouncy or whatever it is or I'm, I'm dealing with my stuff so you then giving yourself permission you will then change all your neurophysiology and you giving them permission sort of just to wrap it up if we don't do what i've just said if we don't manage our mind and we don't give ourselves permission to process our stuff and be honest about it and authentic we are setting changing the environment of our physical brain and body to the extent where your chances of getting a physical illness that will then also boomerang into your mental health is at an increased factor of 35 to 
In other words, for every unmanaged or suppressed or I'm going to be strong, it's weak to say that I'm mentally unhealthy. Actually, it's the opposite. For every attitude like that, you're increasing your vulnerability to disease. Right. And that is why we see leaders that are at the top of their game and young and supposedly healthy, working out, having the green juices, doing all this stuff, <laughs> dropping down dead or getting or committing suicide. I mean, we have massive problem of deaths of despair happening between 24 to 65 year olds. So if you're in that bracket, age bracket, your chance of dying eight to 25 years younger has has increased by a dramatically massive, massive, massive chance. You have a chance of dying 28 to 25 years younger. And it's been tracked back to how we're managing our lifestyles. And the biggest part of managing our lifestyles is managing our mind. Because our mind drives our lifestyles. You have no life yes. in the mind because yes. you're dead. So you're alive, manage your mind. Very, very, very key and critical. Sister so I uh, hope you're inspired today. We talk a lot about the... Uh, clarity and control of your business and the health of your business and the health of your business oftentimes starts with you, the leader, and that starts with your mind. So I hope this helps get some clarity and some tools to get some control of your mind and mental health. Dr. Caroline Lee, thanks for hanging out with us. It's a, it's a true honor. Um, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you so much. And I loved our, I loved our discussion. It was really good questions that you asked. Thank you so much. My pleasure. See you next weekend for another episode of System and Soul.